touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and joining me in the studio once again, my good buddy, my comrade, compatriot, man who what writes things sometimes <laughs> I say, Ben Bolin. Yes. From, from various shows. Yes, uh, Jonathan, feels so good to be back. Uh, we've got, <laughs> we've got a, we've got a pretty cool situation going on today. Uh, and, and this is an, a fascinating topic, so I'm really happy for the opportunity to talk about it with you. Yeah, once again, I, I opened up the opportunity for Ben to choose whatever topic. I gave him a list of topics, and he gave me a choice that wasn't on the list. I'm sorry. No, that's good. <laughs> uh, but you came back and said, how about we talk about the Internet kill switch or an Internet kill switch? As mm-hmm. it turns out, there's not just one Although it's not exactly uh, as simple. In fact, it's nowhere near as simple as a physical switch. So you're like, hey, can, remember to turn off the Internet before you go out tonight, right? right? right. Like, before you leave the room, turn off the Internet. That's It's not like that. It's not IT crowd where yeah. you've got the little <laughs> box, right? Right. This gen is the internet. It's not that. Oh, that's a pretty good moss, though. It's not that good. But uh, the, <laughs> I thank you for your, your kindness. Um, so... The <laughs> so the kill switch is uh, in general it's a concept that a a party most often a government mm-hmm. uh, but not necessarily because we'll talk about an example in the United States that did not involve directly a, a government agency but a uh, usually it's a government elects to restrict or perhaps completely eliminate access to the internet mm-hmm. in response to something. Right. Yeah. So this differs a little bit from filtering. Yeah. Because filtering is sort of a passive, continual process that, uh, you know, if it goes well in most countries, but not all, uh, you won't really learn about it. You just won't be able to get to a certain website. So a great example of that is China with Mm -hmm. the great firewall of China, right? They call it a firewall, but really it's a web filter. Mm -hmm. And it's the whole idea is that it filters out things that the Chinese government finds objectionable and does not wish the Chinese citizenship to have access to. And uh, and in that case, that is an ongoing situation. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit about a few others, as well as the more, um, you know, kind of temporary, but all, but equally terrifying uses of shutting down Internet uh, access for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, the justifications for this fall under various versions of national security. Yeah. Uh, but. There are frequently, and I would argue, uh, in most cases, justifiably criticisms of that approach mm-hmm. that perhaps there are other motivations at play besides trying to protect security. Uh, even if they're not intended, they may be, they may, there may be undertones of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, uh, public safety would be another. Yep. Uh, sort of umbrella term. Right. And I, I don't want to be too cynical with this, but I, I think we can all be honest, ladies and gentlemen, when we say that national security has a, an increasingly vague definition depending upon which state uses the phrase. Yeah. Uh, I would argue that almost every state that uses the phrase national security keeps it purposefully vague. Yeah. Uh, because you, well, I mean, for one thing, it's impossible to anticipate everything. So mm-hmm. I can feel some sympathy on that, sure. in that respect. And the idea that if it's my job to ensure the protection of a nation's people, I don't know how much sleep I'm getting. Right. But, well, yeah. but then, you know, there, it is entirely possible because we've seen it time and again to err too far on the side of, uh, you know, of, of trying to protect people. Right. Uh, and I would also argue that eliminating a massive means of communication does far worse to endanger a people than, uh, than not doing that. Like that, that you're yeah. not really promoting public safety by cutting off communication. Yeah. I really wanted to get your thoughts on this because you're our tech expert or tech expert. That's way easier yeah. to say. Yeah. Just so everyone knows, uh, our producer hopefully cut out the four times I tried to say tech expert. Yeah, we're not going to 
I, if I had bloopers on this show, that, those would go at the end of this episode. But I don't do that, so oh, don't worry. Oh, thank about gosh! It. Yeah. All right. So the the reason that I wanted to hear about this is because it sounds like almost this villainous James Bond type of thing. You know, I'm going to shut down the internet unless you give me one billion dollars. Right. Uh, but but you raised a fantastic point, um, which is that this has not only been an idea that's that's a little older than a lot of people might think sure but it's uh by no means an uncommon thing it's there are precedents for this right oh there's so many so we're, we're gonna start uh with uh nations other than our own but okay. don't worry we will get to the united states because that you know i think in particular you're talking about a country that prides itself on certain principles and it's very difficult to uh, to to take this idea and have it mesh with those principles, mm-hmm. right? So, but before we get to that, let's talk about some other countries where, at least from the perspective of of our position, we would say it's pretty cut and dry that this is a, a draconian approach. So, again, this is from the perspective of two Americans. Sure. <laughs> so sure. we're sitting we're sitting in a pretty big seat of privilege here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but North Korea is the first example I was going to point out. Oh, yes. Yeah. And North Korea, that is if you want to talk about a nation that is very much concerned with the control of access to the Internet, mm-hmm. it's hard to find a better representative than North Korea. Yeah. Because, first of all. Uh, let me let me go through what you have to be able to do in order to have access to the internet in North Korea. All right. All right. Walk me through it. Okay. So you're a citizen in North Korea, and you're hoping at one point to connect to the internet. Well, first you have to obtain a license to own a personal computer. Wow. It's like having a license to own a weapon. You have you can't you can't go out and buy a computer on your own. You have to get permission to own a computer first. Hmm. Secondly, you have to be lucky enough to be able to buy one because the only state-sanctioned source for computers is a company called Morning Panda, which is owned by the government. Mm. Um, if, however, there's a caveat here. If you're somehow fortunate enough to be one of the elite in North Korea, you can skirt around this. and You could okay. actually buy an unsanctioned computer, like an, a- like an Apple computer, like a top-of-the-line computer that is essentially smuggled in for you. So these are the rules for the average Joe. This is th- these are the rules for, for 99.999% of the population of North Korea. Uh, so if you're in that 0.001%, then mm-hmm. you're, you, you can ignore these other rules. Uh, but third is that you would need to connect to that, to a network, uh, which is not the internet. It's called the intranet, or it's their intranet called, uh, Kwang Myung, which means bright star. Okay. Uh, so that's an intranet. It's internally based in North Korea without connection to the outside internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks kind of like the internet, particularly the internet of the late nineties. Um, it's running on Microsoft software that had been pirated from Japanese sources. Oh. So it's it's all like the servers are all internal servers, not connecting outside. OK. Um, but in order to do that, you need to be probably either in a major city or in a university. Those are the only places that have Internet connectivity. And if you aren't in either of those two places, you're probably out of luck because internal travel in North Korea is not permitted without a special dispensation. Yeah, you need a hall pass. Yeah. So in other words, if you're not there already, you may be stuck. All right. So we've got all that taken care of. Now, let's say that you are one of the elite and you, you, you merit certain consideration because of whatever, whatever your position happens to be. Maybe you're, maybe you're like a head of a propaganda or something along those lines. If you are one of those very few people, you can access the actual internet with two other caveats. (laughs) Well, first, first of all, here's how few there are. Right, so there's 25 million people living in North Korea. North Korea has 1,024 IP addresses. Wow. In United States, where we have more than 300 million people, we have more than a billion IP addresses. So that tells you that we're talking about a tiny number of people. Yeah. And the the line leading into North Korea comes from China. So your feed of the internet is also behind the firewall. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you, you are one of the few people who can access it. You're accessing it through a line that has passed through China. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might, there, there may be a couple of satellite sources of, of access, which would not be limited right. to the yeah. Chinese, uh, firewall. But, uh, yeah. And from what I've heard, or at least from what people have been able to suss out, the access is super slow. Yeah, I've I've heard that too. Um we're talking about the uh the dial up sound effect. Level. Oh yeah. 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 There have been like cyber cafes, some of them are still using dial up modems. Wow. So it's not it's not a cable or, or fiber optic system or anything like that. So that that's a an extreme example. And of course, obviously if the North Korean government had decided that this is not a um not something they want anyone to have access to, it'd be relatively easy to shut it down. Because there's just that one entry point. Yeah. Uh, other than, I guess, mobile phones that are smuggled in, maybe. Yeah, but even then you could, as a, you know, as a government, shut down the cellular systems. That's true, too. So you know, in that ah. case, it's kind of a, a scorched earth policy, but you could do it. Uh, so anyway, that's that's probably the most extreme case, apart from maybe countries that are so de- they're in such a developing stage as far as the Internet is concerned. That they haven't laid out an infrastructure fully yet. Okay. Those cases, it may be a little different. I'm, I'm looking mostly at at countries that have had the opportunity to roll out an infrastructure. I see. Okay. Yeah. So that that's an extreme example, but yeah. it also shows how easily that could happen in that in that state in the DPRK or North Korea, just to cut off that just that one point, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Now, whereas uh, China is another great example, this we've already talked about the firewall. So mm-hmm. the Internet in China is is largely censored. Um, there are ways for citizens who are savvy to get around that, although it's not a safe thing to do necessarily. No, uh, are we talking about VPNs or Tor or something? Yeah. Uh, and you can. Um, yeah. And lots of proxies. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can you can potentially get around some of that, although uh, the the. Danger of doing so is not is not insignificant. Uh, China has also been known to use regionalized, localized kill switches in provinces where there is unrest. So, in other words, shutting down the the infrastructure that allows for communication across the internet, uh, but only in localized areas. We're not talking like a a country wide blackout. So this would be like maybe. Unrest in Tibet leads to a shutdown or yeah. Xinjiang or Xinjiang. Yes, those are good examples. Yeah, exactly. It's the sort of thing where if the government wants to impede the ability of any uh, protesters mm-hmm. or voices of opposition, they can shut down the communication lines uh, and then uh, kind of kind of squash that that way or at least at least decrease their impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other examples. I mean, um in Egypt in 2011, there was a pretty infamous uh, result of, of the, the president or the outgoing president of Egypt uh, shutting down the uh, various services or shutting down access to various services as a means of trying to, to squash uh, protests and opposition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Syria 2012. Now, this one's interesting. You know, I... Don't know much about this one. All right. So this one's right up your alley, Ben. This is a stuff they don't want you to know episode. All right. I'm all ears. So Syria 2012. Syria is in the middle of a civil war. Internet access in Syria blacks out. It's knocked offline. So like the, it's like the entire country just suddenly disappears from online. It goes black. Wow. Both sides accuse the other side of sabotaging the system so that no one could use the internet. However, mm-hmm. according to one Mr. Snowden, neither side was responsible. What? And in fact, it was the NSA, which was attempting to infiltrate Syrian web servers to insert malware for surveillance purposes and accidentally knocked their servers offline. And then we're given just enough authority to hide their tracks rather than actually help Syria get back online. Wow. So that's a that's even more. That's the the stakes are so much higher. I'm sorry I'm stuttering, but this is mind boggling to me. This is a state shutting down another country's Internet. 
Not not on purpose, but that's kind of not important, really. That's kind of the scariest part. Yeah, it's actually really like because then you start thinking like not only do you have amazing power, but you're operating on a Three Stooges level. <laughs> you know, your job is to install this one thing, and you've you've not you've burnt the building down around you, right? right. And it'd be like there's one wall standing, and it's got the thing you were supposed to install on it, but the rest of the building is gone. The last thing standing is the door and the new doorknob. Right, exactly. That's it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> this is obviously not the same sort of thing as the kill switches we're talking about in other cases, because, again, that was not the intention mm-hmm. at the time. And this is, a, again, according to Snowden, who, right. who gave an interview with Wired and talked about this. So, uh, you know, I, I haven't actually read any documents that directly link NSA to this event in Syria. But okay. according to Snowden, that is what happened. So uh, so that is something I should stress. On <laughs> a Three Stooges level. Yeah. So that that's a great example. Another one, uh, Russia, 2014, so mm-hmm. very recent. Uh, there was a news story in which it was reported that, quote, Russian Internet service providers will be required to install equipment that would make it possible to shut off Russia's access to the global Internet in the event of an emergency. And uh, Dmitry Peskov, who uh, was press secretary to a certain uh, Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. said that there was no intention to isolate Russian users from the global Internet. Uh, he explained to the Interfax news agency that the discussions will focus on the ways to protect it from possible external actions. Uh, so essentially a means of protecting Russia from cyber attacks. Okay. Whether from hacker groups or from State the NSA. Ones, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, there's also a possibility here that might be, that, that might be apropos for this situation, which is, uh, financial catastrophes because sure. shutting down an internet connection is a great way to shut down regular trade. I, I'm sure it's also a criminal act. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, the way I think of it is, and, and this also ties back, I'm sure we'll stress this again at the end of the episode, that shutting down the internet, the internet, we depend so heavily on it, not yes. just for communications, but for, uh, for, for trade, mm-hmm. you know, for finances that, Doing doing something as drastic as shutting it down would be disastrous, even if you could argue that it was justifiable and even if it was for a short amount of time, Mm -hmm. the consequences of that action would be so tremendous as to probably in hindsight say – that was prob- that was not the right thing to do. There's got to be a better way. Yeah, but yeah. we'll we'll talk more about that. So so those are some of the other countries uh-huh. we can talk. There's also uh there's ongoing issues with Burundi um where there have been some discussions about using various means to shut down the ability for people to use Twitter and other social media sites. Okay. Yeah. But there are a lot of different examples. Uh mm. there were examples during the uh, incidents with Russia and the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just tons of different examples around the world. And meanwhile, here in the United States, we often think of ourselves, we Americans often think of ourselves as sort of the the paragons of free speech. And sure. our, our country valued, that's what our country was founded on, one of the principles we were founded on, and that therefore, you know, we have a really good foundation for fair means of, of communication, yeah, but the right to uh, free speech. Like, I don't agree with you, but I will defend to the death your yeah. right to say it. So it sounds like, you know, we would never mess around with that sort of thing. However, us, no, not us. Yeah, we've got a nice long history of actually putting it into policy that we can totally that by we, I mean, the president can totally mess with things. I mean, this goes all the way back to the age yeah. of the telegraph. Where the president, I think it was like 1918, where the president was was given the authority in times of war and other uh, major catastrophes, mm-hmm. be able to, to direct the use of the telegraph systems so that essentially superseding any other use of them and saying either they need to be dedicated specifically for whatever uh-huh. or shut down so that they can't be used for anything else. So, yeah, so that's that's a startling thing because we know that this is the Communications Act, right? Well, that would be the 1930. Oh, that's, the that's the next one. Yeah. The next one is the 1934 Communications Act, which goes even further. Right, yeah, which says uh, 
Uh, this was by FDR, I believe, right? Yeah. And this is control over the media. Uh, this this gives like electronic communication in any and all forms. Yeah, and this is one where. There was argument for a long time about whether or not the Internet falls under this particular category. Right, yeah. And this, it, it's kind of in a parallel argument to net neutrality. Yes, yeah. And whether you can qualify the Internet as uh, a, a utility mm. or a, another, you know, a regulated uh, entity kind of like the, the telephone industry, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's – Related but not identical to that. Obviously, there there are differences, big differences between the two. But um, nevertheless, some people say that this act gives the president uh, the the explicit means to be able to direct any kind of mass communication within the United States mm-hmm. for whatever purpose. If we're talking about a time of war or other major right. event that threatens national security. Right, and it's also illegal for anyone to not help. Yes, that's that's one of the that's one of the scary things. And it also it also uh, absolves any communications company mm-hmm. of any um, legal proceedings to be pursued against it in the wake of this. So, in other words, using modern examples, if uh, if the president of the United States goes to AT and T and says, "Shut it all down," mm-hmm. you know, Walter Peck style. And they flip the big switch and all and all the AT&T stuff goes offline. AT&T customers would not be allowed to sue AT&T for that because under this act, mm-hmm. AT&T is not held responsible. They were they were following the rules as laid out by the act and uh, therefore they can't be sued. Now, you might be able to bring some sort of lawsuit against the government and try and have the law changed. Yeah. yeah. But you wouldn't, you know, under this law, you they would they're like, listen, you know, it, it is the law that we were following. And again, that's 1934. Yeah. So uh, meanwhile, so even if you even if you think the Internet is is um, not beholden to the same set of rules, mm-hmm. Uh, in 2006, that all became moot because that's when the Department of Homeland Security adopted a policy that is called Standing Operating Procedure 303 or SOP 303. Mm-hmm. And before we came in here, Ben and I had a, had a brief little exchange <laughs> where I said, how terrifying is it to think of this as standard operating procedure? Right. Yes. Yeah. And and furthermore, how terrifying is it to uh, wonder about the other 300 something, the yeah. other 302? That's yeah. And that's assuming there weren't more after 303. Right. <laughs> what else? Like, are we in violation of SOP 419 or that, something? Just a small tangent. This reminds me of when I was in London with my wife and we saw a sign that said no busking in the London Underground, which we'll come back to in just a second, but in the London Underground. And I turned to my wife and I said, what is it? And she said, I don't know. Are we doing it? <laughs> I was like, I sure hope not because there's because it's apparently against the law and we could get fined. So and obviously, I mean, for those who don't know, busking is is public performance of, mm-hmm. of various types and asking for money in return for public performance. But at, at the time, we had no idea. So it's like that sort of thing. Like, are we violating something? And And here's the deal. This particular standard operating procedure was adopted pretty much in secrecy. Right. Right. Yeah. Like there's there's no there's no publicly available record of exactly what uh, what what sort of um, situation has to be in place in order for the Department of Homeland Security to execute SOP 303. Right. Or what si- sort of oversight governs it? I, yeah. In, yeah. There's there's yeah. no there's no way for us to know because it's not published publicly uh and that that is a, a real issue of of some concern now um one thing i should say is that sop 303 is not an internet kill switch in the same sense as you know something that you would see in north korea or right. or whatever it's um it's meant to be localized very much so to mm-hmm. the point where the the most of the language talks about using it to cut off Cellular service, mobile service, and wireless service 
within specific areas, like a tunnel or a bridge sure. or maybe a municipality. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And this uh, this, this is strange because we know that something like this has occurred, right? Namely oh, yeah. in San Francisco. Right. And uh, before I talk about the okay, San Francisco yeah. one, which is extremely problematic um, – the whole reason why this was adopted in 2006 stems from some attacks in London that happened in 2005. Mm. So in July of 2005, there were the London underground bombings. On July 7th, about 8.50 in the morning uh, in London time, uh, three bombs in three different locations in the London underground system uh, exploded Within a minute of each other, like within 50 seconds, all three had exploded. So clearly coordinated. Yeah. Uh, 52 civilians were – well, there was a fourth one that exploded an hour later on a double-decker bus. So three were on trains. One was on a double-decker bus and happened an hour later. 52 people were – 52 civilians were killed. Uh, 700 people were injured and the four suicide bombers died as as well. I mean mm-hmm. – um, so the United States looked at this and also remember, obviously, this is also after 9-11 and 2001. So the United States looks at this and they the Department of Homeland Security started looking into the possibility of creating a system to shut down mobile and wireless service in in the case that perhaps there was good reason to suspect a coordinated terrorist attack on a system or a municipality. Mm-hmm. The idea being that the bombers were using cell phones to activate the bombs, to, to detonate the bombs. Right, which is completely possible. It is possible. I could not find anything official in mm-hmm. the investigation of the London attacks that definitively found that the attackers use their mobile phones. It's just as possible, or at least it is possible, maybe not just as possible, it is possible that they all had their cell phones on an alarm system to alert them of when they needed to detonate. Oh, and then they used some other system. Because, you know, if they're all using cell phones, it's all it's all keyed into the satellites anyway. Right. Uh, or the cell the cell towers rather, the cell tower service. So um you know, it's if their time, their clocks would have all been synchronized already. Uh, so that's a possibility, too. But assuming that they did use their mobile phones, then the United States Department of Homeland Security was saying, well, how can we create a system where we shut down the ability for anyone to send a signal through these wireless or mobile mm-hmm. uh, services? And that way we can prevent any kind of attack of this nature from being carried out the way it was intended. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the justification, or at least that's the justification that has been alluded to by various parties involved. Sure. Now, uh, you, know, you know, you were alluding to something that happened in San Francisco. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's uh, <clears throat> that was around 2011. Yep. Uh, the, in 2011... A uh, group named uh, Epic, uh, you might recognize that, the Electronic Privacy Information Center, Mm -hmm. began pursuing this DHS, for the sake of coolness, I'll call it a kill switch, but I think you did an excellent job showing how it it is a little different. Right. Uh, Because government officials in San Francisco disabled the cell phone system during a protest. Yeah, it's a protest that happened on the Bay Area Rapid Transit, or BART, Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And what had happened was uh, um, there there were protests that were related to an incident in which a, a BART officer, so a law enforcement officer working with BART, uh, yeah. for BART, mm-hmm. um, had shot and killed a homeless man. And so uh, there, the, the BART operators essentially shut down cell service in certain areas of the BART system. So mm-hmm. think of like – cell tower repeaters that are in various areas. Right. They shut those down. They turned them off, killing cell service in those areas. Uh, and the essentially they were doing so to prevent the organization of spontaneous protests on the BART system. And they justified 
their decision by saying that they were afraid that any kind of organize, organized protest would uh, bring the safety of other people into question, that it right. would be too dangerous. Overcrowding was one of the things they listed in their official response statement, yeah. right? And they, and also you'll see some differences in the language they're choosing because Epic and the protesters themselves say this was a, this was going to be a peaceful protest, whereas, uh, Bart says this was going to be a disruptive activity, right? That again yeah. leads to unsafe conditions. So, so essentially you could say, well, what happened? And Bart pretty much is able to continue doing what it's doing for the time being anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, there's nothing that came out of that uh, as far as, you know, a, a, like a slap on the wrist or anything. It was, yeah. it was essentially considered justified. And, uh, and it's particularly worrisome because it was in response to a protest, not some sort of terrorist attack, right. but actual citizens of the United States protesting something. And, and again, the First Amendment gives us rights of free speech and assembly. And, and, and you sure. could argue that this is a violation of those rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- this is definitely one of those things that has been continuing to play out. And that really gave Epic the, the, uh, the the need to go after Department of Homeland Security to say, all right, listen, we need to know what are what are the the guidelines for SOP 303? Yeah. What in what case is it legal for the United States government to shut off wireless or cellular service within an area? What we don't even know what the guidelines are. Right, because we, the people, as corny as it is to say it's true, uh, the, the citizenry of the U.S., as well as people visiting, because of course it affects them too, mm-hmm. uh, never had the chance to find out what this was, what, what this actually is happening. I, I think a lot of people here in this country did, did not know that it could even be a thing. You yeah, know? Well, yeah. I mean, there was no public debate. There was no public revelation of this. It was essentially one of those behind closed doors deals, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds – it's probably going to sound pretty familiar to folks because we've talked a lot. You and I particularly have right. talked a lot about uh, a lot of a lot of things that are done in the name of national security mm-hmm. that get very much obfuscated. And the people who are behind the policies argue that the obfuscation is necessary to preserve the national security. Right. And meanwhile, uh, people who find it to be an infringement upon liberties are saying, "You so you're telling me you can't even tell me what the <laughs> what the parameters are because that in itself is somehow endangering people. How can knowing when you are allowed to do this be a danger to anyone? And in fact, right. that's the that's the key to the current argument, mm-hmm. right? So Epic essentially sues. The Department of Homeland Security. First, there's the a Freedom of Information Act request, which Department of Homeland Security says, no, I'm not going to we're not going to tell mm-hmm. you what or we're going to tell you so little that it means nothing anyway. Yeah. And so th- there was a series of lawsuits or, or, or court cases, rather. And uh, in one, the courts found in favor of Epic. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, excellent. DHS appeal. DHS, you got to <laughs> tell us you got to tell us by this date. Right. What the guidelines are yeah. for you to be able to use this. This, by the way, isn't about repealing SOP 303. No. This is just telling us when it is allowed, when the government is allowed to use SOP 303. Mm-hmm. So, uh, DHS appeals, like you said, and the DC District Court of Appeals found in favor of the Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. So now there's no longer this mandate that the DHS has to give over all the guidelines, although there was some time in April where it was going to be said, oh, the DHS is totally going to talk about, at least give some information sure. about when SOP 303 uh, can be instituted and, and what it means. Like, I mean, what hope, are the parameters? Yeah. Hope springs eternal, right? Yeah. Still haven't heard it yet. No, we still haven't. We still haven't heard it. And it's it's fascinating because. The things that we don't know, it's kind of like a monster in a Hitchcock film. The yeah. things that we don't know uh, may well be far more monstrous than what's actually going on. Right. You and I have talked a lot about how um, unnecessary secrecy or obfuscation uh, breeds speculation and really crazy stuff. Yeah. And it's and it 
ends up breeding distrust in mm-hmm. in authority and that is not good either. So there comes a point where you have to really weigh this and say, all right, is it really – I mean because the argument that the Department of Homeland Security has been making is that the revelation of this information could potentially put a human life at risk, in danger. Right, yeah. And the EPIC's response was how? And the Department of Homeland Security said saying that would put a person's life in danger. So you're saying – so you're essentially saying you've got a get-out-of-jail-free card here. Right. That if you play this, it trumps everything else. That if you say – that it could potentially put some hypothetical person's life in danger, <laughs> then you have a way of getting out of any request for justification. And that breeds even more contempt, right? Yes. Yeah. So it, it, and it could very well be that if there were some disclosure of this information, we would say, I now understand your justifications, whether I agree with it or not is another matter, but I understand them and I understand how you could argue that it would potentially put someone's life in danger. Mm. But it seems kind of – I mean, without knowing, it's impossible to say for sure, but it seems to me, based upon my limited perspective, that's very difficult to justify. I can't tell you when we can put this into place because that could potentially put someone's life in danger. Mm-hmm. Because it's either going to be in place or it's not going to be in place. <laughs> right. This is not a matter of degree so much as it is a matter of pretty concrete facts. Yeah. And, like, yeah. like is you know, what are you saying that that a potential attacker would look at the guidelines and say, "All right, guys, as long as we stay just within this, they yeah. can't shut down the communications." Is that the argument? That's what it feels like. Which is weird, right? Cuz yeah, you're like, yeah. "Well, so you can't even explain what the cuz I'm sure it's vaguely worded. Oh, yeah. Everything is. Mm -hmm. So it can't be something so specific that, you know, a a determined person could calculatingly approach this in such a way where they almost but don't quite trigger SOP 303. Guys, as long as we're there before 732. Right. (laughs) Yeah, because after that, the switches all come on. So really yeah. quickly to talk about the whole kill switch idea. Like we said, yeah. it's not a physical switch, right? Mm-hmm. This is a policy that the government has. And they went to the telecom companies and said, this is what our policy is. In the case of enacting SOP 303, we are going to ask you, the telecom companies, mm-hmm. to shut down your service. And the telecom companies have agreed to do this. So in other words, again, not not a button that the government pushes, but if the government puts the call out to a specific municipality, let's say Dallas, Texas, oh, yeah. and okay. they say to all the different carriers, wi- wireless and cellular carriers, shut off your service for this duration, mm-hmm. then assuming that they've all agreed to do so, they'll all do that individually. Now, this is where it gets complicated because uh, for, for cellular service, it's not too hard because there's so many limited play. There's just a limited number of players. Right, yeah. Right? So with a limited number of players, the government doesn't have to make a thousand phone calls <laughs> to get this to happen. Yeah. When you get into terrestrial internet service providers – it gets a lot more complicated. Even though most of us have access to, you know, a couple of major ones, mm-hmm. um, there are smaller ones, lots yeah. of smaller ones, and there, there, and some of them are cooperatives too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I could see that you have to all of a sudden those thousand calls you talked about earlier yeah. are are coming into play. Yeah, and uh, from what I understand, SOP three hundred three does not cover landlines. So if you have a landline, that's mm-hmm. not going to get shut off. Uh, and it probably would have some difficulty shutting down any kind of, of, uh, internet service that was not wireless or cellular. Yeah. Uh, although I imagine that, you know, some of the big players may already have agreements like, you know, I can't even, I won't name them, but let's say that a major internet service provider has that. That could, effectively silence at least a large enough percentage of the population to get through whatever the problem hap- uh, the the perceived problem happens to be right yeah and and again like a, another thing a kill switch is not is a permanent kill switch this right. is just for a li- this at least in the US um you said it, it you had a great way of saying it when we were off air earlier um you said 
Uh, it's not a literal switch. It is a policy. Yeah. And, and it's and it's a policy that is meant to to endure as long as that state of emergency does. Whatever yeah. what however that is defined, which again we don't know because we haven't been able to read SOP three oh three. But um you know it's 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 meant to be temporary. The problem is the BART example is very troubling yeah. because of it being in response to a protest. Even if you can argue convincingly that no, it was meant because we didn't want the overcrowding and, and endangerment of lives. True. The at least the perception is that you're trying to stop people from actually expressing uh, their their displeasure with authority, mm-hmm. and that's not what the United States is supposed to be about. It's it's in fact antithetical to what our right. our founding principles are supposed to be, and um, on top of that, there's another sort of kill switch I want to talk about very briefly. This one is one that's installed directly into smartphones. So in California in 2014, there was a law that was passed that requires uh, smartphone uh, smartphones being sold in the state to have some form of kill switch that would allow the remote deactivation and wiping of that phone. Whoa, you could brick it, huh? Yeah. The thought being that this is meant to help prevent uh, – to help uh, disincentivize people from stealing smartphones because the idea being that if you've had your smartphone stolen, you can have it bricked yeah. so that you don't have to worry about someone getting access to your data. They can't use your phone anymore. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that if this is if this is mandated, then stealing a smartphone makes no sense in California anyway because – the chances are it's going to be turned into a useless piece of of plastic in your yeah. hands. Yeah. Um, but the fear is that it allows other entities remote access to your phone mm-hmm. to turn it off, to wipe the the stuff so that what if it were a case of, um, you know, citywide riots and there was the call to, all right, let's, you know, we're not just shutting down the system, we're wiping the phones, which sounds like it's a truly ridiculous overstepping of bounds. Yeah. But the, the point is that uh, organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation have said, this opens the door to that possibility. Anytime you have the opportunity for another entity to have some form of access to your phone, that's a problem with security. It's a problem with privacy. It's a problem with mm-hmm. uh, individual liberties. And you're, you are arguing for the safety of a system as opposed to the safety of the person. That's a very, that's a very good distinction. I'm glad you made it because when we talk about some of this stuff, this is just a brief tangent. You remember when, um, <clears throat> do you remember when there was the big hubbub about having uh, having ebooks from Amazon, yeah, how Amazon could control them remotely, yeah, because they they uh, had a particular copy. Uh, I can't remember what the book was. Well, oh, you know, it was so ironic. <laughs> yeah, a copy of nineteen eighty four, and then they remotely wiped that copy from anyone who bought it. Which, uh, which just, <laughs> I'm sorry, but how many how many slightly paranoid people? Just locked themselves in their house and started nailing up planks along the door. I mean, the only <laughs> book I can think of that would have been equally ironic would have been Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's a good call. You'd be virtually burning the book. <laughs> so, so this, of course, this gives us, um, you know, this gives anybody concern, and it's not, it's not necessarily crazy or paranoid to say that if the, this access occurs, I love that again, safety of the system over the safety of the individual. But I bring the Amazon thing up because I wanted to get to a point you had said it wasn't just a state-sponsored thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, well, I mean, like looking at something like BART, you know, or if you could, you know, that that's a... That's the, the, the transportation system in San Francisco. That wasn't like the state of California saying Oh, I this. see what you're saying. Yeah. So that was a problem, but. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know. That is scary. Yeah, because it's, it, and, and apparently it's fine. We have to be nicer to the MARTA drivers, man. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that's why I walk to work, but I'm not <laughs> not saying you're it. You're not not saying uh, it. No, I'm not. Uh, it's, I'm being ridiculous. But I, the the other thing I wanted to mention mm-hmm. yeah. is that you know 
Ben and I are of a very particular opinion, obviously, about sure. this. Yeah. Uh, we are not coming at this from an unbiased point of view. Mm-hmm. But I should also point out that the United Nations is on our side of this argument. Mm-hmm. The UN, uh, or at least a group of experts within the United Nations. So I shouldn't say the whole organization collectively have said this, but, uh, experts within the UN have come out to say, that the use of any sort of communications kill switch is a violation of human rights, even in a time of war or huh. or uh, strife. Yeah, okay. And that it is impermissible under international human rights law. Really? Yeah. So that's I, first off, I'm startled. Uh, that that is not what I was expecting, especially that kind of language, the yeah. severity of that language. Uh, but I. You know, okay, I keep thinking about when we did our Area 51 podcast, yeah, right? right. And we had, I think, one of the best uh, – we had, we had one of the best cases where national security, as vague as it may be, is a real and present thing. Like, yep. uh, it could have led to – it could have maybe led to a nuclear war at some point, you right. know, had the secrets not been kept. But this is very – this is very different. Um, it, I just – I want to – be careful to acknowledge both sides like is is it possible that there would be a situation where shutting off regional cell systems or internet access is the best thing to do it's hard to imagine i can't think of one because though. because the again the consequences of that are so severe mm-hmm. i mean the immediate consequences involve panic because now you no longer have your you know, we take it for granted that mm-hmm. we have these phones that allow us an, you know, incredible access to the Internet and to various forms of communication, even if most of us just use it for texting. We still <laughs> – we take that for granted. So imagine that that has been completely taken away. Imagine that it's during a time of of unease for whatever – you know, however that's defined. Sure. So if you are in the middle of that situation – and, you know, one of your earliest uh, 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 impulses is probably going to be to touch base with somebody else to either find out what's going on mm-hmm. or make sure they're OK or both. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you have no means of doing that because the system has been shut down and you don't even know if the system's been shut down or if something else has happened to cause it to not work, you can't right. know. There's no way to know when you are in the middle of that situation. That would incite panic. Yeah. Right? It seems like it would make the situation worse. I can't imagine it making it better. If you're not aware of what is happening, it makes it far more terrifying. If you are aware of what it's, of what is happening, it's going to very much change your perception of authority if it wasn't already one of suspicion because now you're you're thinking your decision to shut this down in order to potentially save people first of all you can't without something horrible happening you can't say that you necessarily saved anyone right right that's yeah. the, this is the worst part of the world here yeah the worst part of the world is saying if it works the reason why the the only thing we have to show that it works is that nothing awful happened. Nothing happened. Yeah. Right. And if nothing awful happened, then you have the question of, well, was it necessary to do this drastic step mm-hmm. to make sure nothing awful happened or would nothing awful have happened anyway? Right. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to prove that kind of thing. And even if we were in some sort of hyper hypothetical, excuse me, hypothetical, nonlinear time space where yeah. we could see both both effects at once. It sounds like it comes down to, um, you know, the only really compelling explanation would be the idea of remote detonated bombs right. using mobile the, phones. The original justification the original for justifi- SOP 303. Yeah. And then the, idea being yeah. that, the idea being that we're taking the trigger mechanism away. Yeah. And that is... You know, it, it's it's an instantaneous decision. It's an emergency situation. We are doing it so that we can save lives in that instant. It is not meant to be any kind of ongoing situation. It is not meant to be a means of silencing people. It's literally meant to save lives. I can kind of understand that 
But again, I mean, well, I can I can certainly understand the the motivation, sure. right? Uh, particularly in the post nine eleven, post London mm-hmm. bombings mm-hmm. world. It, it, that, but I'm not entirely certain that that execution would prevent the misuse of that system. As Absolutely. the Snowden leaks have shown us, mm-hmm. these systems that were put in place, arguably for noble reasons, have already been sub- subjugated to incredible misuse. Right, yeah, and even at its best, you're not really removing the trigger, you're trading an explosion for a possible riot. Yeah, you know, which yeah. which can have uh, effects that may be as devastating. And, and really, this is all I mean, the Snowden leaks, this is all kind of round wound up together. This this world we live in that is largely a response mm-hmm. to a horrible terrorist attack that took place in our past and is now defining our present. Yeah. So it's it's I mean, again, it's it. It's the sort of stuff you read in those science fiction dystopias where <laughs> right. you realize that the horrible world that the characters live in probably did not spontaneously turn into this totalitarian dystopia. Mm-hmm. It was something that happened by degrees because of well-meaning but misled people putting in policies in place that ultimately did not do what they were intended to do or did more than what they were intended to do. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I am totally in favor of learning more about SOP 303 mm-hmm. and finding out what what actually is allowed versus not allowed and maybe get some more information of how this BART use of turning off cell systems was truly justified. That, to me, is still very problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, having been on MARTA during some of the worst, busiest moments – I can understand a need to try and do some crowd control, but I don't think that's the right way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, also to be fair, I, I'd love to hear that stuff too because if we don't, we're s- speculating, right? W- which is fun, but it's not. It's not. You know, you're can't not. Prove in, it. You're nowhere closer necessarily to the truth. Right. You could be going down the wrong pathway. You're assume. You could be assuming the absolute worst. Totally. And it could turn out that you are completely off base. But if mm-hmm. if you act upon those assumptions, it doesn't really matter if you're off base or not. You're still doing something that is probably pretty drastic and terrible. So if we're speculating, then uh, I think let's go big, man. El- <laughs> Elder gods. Uh, I was going. I was going with the NWO. The NWO. Yeah, not not the New World Order, as in the actual like like kind of like the 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 supposed New World Order that's controlling the whole world. I'm talking about the WCW <laughs> wrestling faction. You know, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan. The right. NWO. Yeah, Hulk Hogan. I think a uh, little known fact: the inventor of the SIM chip. Yeah, yeah, it is a very little known fact because because uh, we made it up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you heard it here first, and it's not true. <laughs> but anyway, so you know the reason why I I love to have this discussion, and I was very very happy to see your suggestion of it, Ben, is because I think it does raise some very important questions about one our dependence upon technology, and that's our uh, you know become our primary means of communication. Mm-hmm. To a point where sometimes you can make jokes about a couple texting each other across fr- a table from one another, you know. <laughs> uh, two, it raises the the question of how do you balance security versus liberty, which mm-hmm. is has been a question throughout the history of the world, not just the United States. Sure. Um, and and where is that balance? Some people would argue that liberty is is the most important, and some people would argue, well, you know, you've got to really consider security because we're in a much much more complicated world now than we were two hundred years ago. For sure, and that's a valid point. And also, just that it was good to be able to sit down and talk about how a kill switch is really an an agreement among multiple parties, yeah, and not. Not a big red button or a physical switch. As much fun slash horror horrific reality that would be. <laughs> yeah, right. I hope it's made by Acme. Yeah. I hope Wiley e. Coyote has one. I th- you know, it, like if we were writing an SNL skit at this point, you know, we, we would discuss. <laughs> we would have the point where President Obama had had switched it over to the clapper, something like that. <laughs> like uh, I want to show you that I'm gonna turn off all the internet in Kansas. Clap, clap, and that's it. You know. Yeah. That would be uh, that would be my SNL skit right there. 
So, I mean, which, which like five people would be like, that's brilliant. And everyone else is like, wow, I was really waiting until the musical guest came on. That's how bad that sketch was. So Lauren, if you're listening, <laughs> we have a couple of sketches. Uh, up our sleeve. I'm yeah. su- sure you're a big fan of our shows. Yeah, and, and I, I realize, you know, I, I'm absolutely certain that the competition to get sketches on the air in the SNL writer's room is probably pretty low-key, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, I mean, I, it just you just have to, like, mail them. Yeah. And... So, uh, so, yeah, call us. We're available. We're in the book. Uh Anything else you wanted to say about, about Kill Switches, <clears throat> SOP 303? I mean, I realize that this also this conversation has also been filled with a lot of vitriol <laughs> on my part well but it's a it, it is a it is a troubling thing and uh i really appreciate talking about it because again you are our tech expert yep. and you are the person i think who is most likely to have like you have you definitely are opinionated but you take great pains to separate what is what your opinion is uh from what the facts are, right? And I, I appreciate that. I, I think the listeners do too. Um, <clears throat> but but I'm on the same page with you here, man, because it, it is a troubling thing. And, oh, and full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that Jonathan and I both work in an internet related field. Yeah. So of course we want. Well, we have a, <laughs> we have a vested interest in this thing called the internet still being readily available. I mean, right, yeah. if it's not, then we're out of a job. Uh, but I mean, you know, it, it, it has become such a centralized point in our life that mm-hmm. it is, it is very difficult to imagine a, a worthy justification of shutting it off, mm-hmm. um, apart from the possibility of preventing an immediate disaster from happening and having it last a relatively short time. Mm-hmm. However short that might be, it might it might be several hours depending upon what's going on and how to stop it. Um, but apart from that extraordinary set of circumstances, which again we don't know necessarily is all that SOP three hundred three covers. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to even wrap my mind around when you would make that call mm-hmm. because again the consequences are just so devastating. I mean, if nothing else, you really invite the the real possibility that voters are not going to be happy. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you are, if you're serving in some, you know, position where you are going to be reelected or not reelected, making that call is a tough one, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. You're going to tick people off. All right. So anyway, uh, I should also point out that very recently, our little sister podcast, Stuff You Should Know, uh, did an episode on internet uh, internet censorship and okay. also covered SOP 303. So if you want to hear their take on it, go listen to Stuff You Should Know. I can't imagine that any of you guys out there listening to this don't already also listen to Stuff You Should Know. If you don't, check it out. It is our flagship podcast. I call it Little Sister as a joke. It's actually overwhelmingly our most popular podcast, and Josh and Chuck are phenomenal on it. And I imagine stuff they don't want you to know has covered, if not SOP 303 specifically, <laughs> a lot of related topics. We can neither confirm nor deny these allegations. <laughs> uh, but the, but we, we do, um, we are all actually big fans of each other in the, in these yeah. shows. Yeah. Uh, so, so do check it out. I would say also, and I know I do this every show, you guys, you know what I'm about to say? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Forward thinking. Check blah, blah. out forward thinking <laughs> if you want to know more about uh, the the future of technology, and if, if if that's if that's not your speed, then uh you should all you should also then consider uh Jonathan's appearances on Brain Stuff. Um, I already named like my two favorites, but you've got some other ones coming up. Too. Yeah, yeah, I've got some f- some fun <laughs> ones coming up too. We we shot the best little behind the scenes thing. We shot outside of our office building. And our office building's great, and mm-hmm. the surrounding area is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, but in each episode, you'll be able to tell which ones were shot on the same day. Because if you listen carefully, in the background of one, you will hear a jackhammer. <laughs> in the background of another, you will hear a leaf blower. And in the background of the third, if you listen really carefully, you'll hear bullfrogs. And if you assemble these three together and play them backwards. <laughs> they, they play a secret message that gives the guidelines to <laughs> SOP 303. 303. 
Uh, yeah, it's 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 my little gift to the world. Uh, no, but thank you very much, Ben. And guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, you should write in and let me know whether it is a topic or a guest host or an interview, anything like that, or maybe just a comment. Maybe you have your own thoughts. Maybe you have a very different opinion about SOP 303, something that Ben and I haven't thought about, which is entirely possible. And I want to hear your thoughts. Send me that message, techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. At all three, we use the handle techstuffhsw, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.